Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could never edit that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I'm all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to Words and Nerds, where authors chat about their books, their craft, and the social and political issues that influence their process. I'm Will Kostakis, journalist, young adult author, and occasional stand-in for regular host Danny V. My latest novel is Rebel Gods, the conclusion to the Monuments duology that takes everything we love about fantasy novels and lets them play out in contemporary Sydney. Today, I'll be chatting to Jennifer Niven, the Emmy award-winning number one New York Times and international best-selling author. You likely know her as the author of All the Bright Places and Holding Up the Universe. Her latest YA release is Breathless. Budding author Claudine Henry is adrift. Everything is changing. Her parents are separating, her best friend is taking bold life steps without her, and she's stranded on a remote island with her mom. Enter Jeremiah Crew. Their chemistry is immediate and irresistible. In today's podcast, we discuss being personal on the page, navigating intimacy in YA fiction, and adapting work for film. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. And now to begin, if you had a 20-second elevator ride to pitch breakfast <laughs> to a reader, how would you describe it? I would describe it as a story about the floor disappearing from beneath your feet when the world changes in an instant and you have to figure out how to um, build that floor back again and begin. It's about, as you said, Claude Henry, who is 18, discovers her parents are getting separated, has to go to this very remote island with her mom where she is cut off from everyone she knows. And while there, she meets a boy and 
she learns to put the floor beneath her feet. And part of it is this romance she has with this boy and having sex for the first time and making an empowered decision about that. Yeah. And it was really a wonderful read. I look, I'll be honest, I left my homework to the last minute. And so <laughs> yesterday I, I woke up at 9am and I just spent the whole day disappearing into oh. the world. And let me tell you, it did leave me breathless. It was just such a wonderful escape. And I really, really enjoyed it. So congratulations on a wonderful achievement. Thank you, Will. That means so much, especially coming from one of my favourite authors. <laughs> and now, having seen you speak at Sydney Writers' Festival, I know how much of yourself you poured into your YA breakout hit, All the Bright Places. Breathless has been billed as, in a sense, more personal than that. To start with, what are the parts of you that sort of inspired this book? Well, it's, it's interesting because with All the Bright Places, it was really inspired by a boy I loved and lost to suicide, and it was about our relationship. So it was very contained within a certain time frame and period of my life. But with Breathless, it started out as being very personal in that I wrote about this summer that I turned 18 and I was graduating high school and... I'm an only child and I've always been super close to my parents and I, they told me that they were separating and I felt like I was getting divorced at that age. And suddenly I had to move away with my mom to this, we went to the mountains instead of an island, but to this very remote place. And I was far away from my best friend and my dad and everything I knew and loved. And um, so I, I really wanted to write about that summer because it was such a pivotal summer for me. I mean, it was the summer I um, had sex for the first time and there was, a you know, obviously a boy. And um, so all of those things that happened and it really was the first time that I had to build a floor beneath my feet again. It was the first moment when I felt like in my young life that my world had changed completely in an instant. And then years later, you know, many years later, I am working on Breathless and writing, getting ready to start writing. I've been already working on the characters and doing all the kind of prep work you do beforehand. And I wanted to immerse myself in the island setting in, that is very much a character in the book. So I went to this island off the coast of Georgia, which had inspired the island in the book. And there I met my now husband and we had all of these adventures while we were falling in love very quickly on this island. And those adventures were the ones that I wrote into the book for Claude and Jeremiah to have. So it was personal, you know, as for me as a teenager, but then it was very personal for me many years later. And does this mean that you are Claude or is there anything that <laughs> separates you two? <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it's, you know, it is fiction. And as you know, it, you put so much, of yourself, even if it's not a personal story, you put so much of yourself and pieces of yourself into the work and into your characters. But there is that line also. I mean, I, Claude is like I am in a lot of ways, like she's like me. I'm like her in a lot of ways, but there are a lot of ways that we're different as well. So, you know, to me, she's Claude. She's not a version of me. She's actually kind of a stronger, tougher version of me at that age. So if I, I kind of wrote the book that I wished that I had had at that age when I was going through those things. And I made her a bit more fearless and 
strong than I was then. And now you mentioned the prep work that you do before you start writing. Are your characters set in stone at that point or do they evolve as you write them and sort of discover them as you put them into different situations? It's kind of both. I mean, I definitely discover them along the way, but I like to be as prepared as I can be before I start writing the story. So, I mean, it's all part of writing. So writing the characters is writing, you know, also writing the book. It's just that, you know, you come to a point when you have to put the the pen to paper or, you know, sit down at the computer with a blank page and start using these characters that you've created um, and putting them into the story that you've come up with. So I like to get to know them as much as I can um, because I feel like that helps inform. I don't, I don't write every beat down of the story because I feel like there is always so much to discover along the way. Mm-hmm. But if I really know the characters inside and out, then that helps inform the story as I write. But that said, I also discover things about the characters as I write. And that's part of the magic of, of writing. I think that's part of the thing that I love so much about it. How do you know when you are ready to stop sort of faffing around with designing the characters and actually putting pen to paper? I think there's this like, I don't know, this urge that you get to actually sit down and start writing. And I love writing first drafts. I mean, I'm not super crazy about the middles of them because... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the worst. That is that is a layer of hell right there. <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, I swear they're just, you know, that I can wander around in the middle forever and, you know, overwrite by many, many pages. But um, I do love, you know, that first those first, you know, the first draft and the first, so many of the first moments of putting, you know, the scenes on paper that you've imagined and the characters and getting to know their voices and everything. Um, So I think that it's just an instinct, you know, when I, I think, okay, I could be learning these characters all day long and I could be imagining scenes and scenarios for them, but it's just time to move on to the writing. And I'm always really excited to do that. And speaking of instinct, how do you know which parts of your life are worthy of writing about and which ones aren't? Is there, is there a moment when you're living something and you get this sort of pang of, oh, this would make a great story? Or is it just something when you look back at your life and you think that's significant enough where I feel like readers need to know something that I learned from that experience to armor them for life. How do you know, you know, what you draw and what you sort of leave behind? Again, I think it's, you know, I think it's a combination of both. I think it's, um, you know, I, you know, there are moments and events that I go through in my life that are so significant and usually it's the more traumatic events in my life. And, Um, like losing my mother, losing my dad, losing this boy who inspired Finch and all the bright places. And I knew at the time, for instance, with him, when I went through that experience with him, that I would definitely want to write about it someday. I just didn't know when. And, and, And I think that's part of, you know, that instinct again is figuring out when you're ready to tell that story. I mean, definitely there are other, there are other moments in my life where I think, oh, this is a funny story that won't necessarily make it into something. I think, you know, since I've been writing young adult, 
especially, I look for the things that I think they can relate to and the things that they need to, they probably need to hear and things that might help them hopefully in some way with the things that they're experiencing. And you mentioned sort of being ready to write something from your life. Is it something that you have to build up the courage to do or has it gotten to the point now where it feels natural for you to do that? I don't think it ever feels natural. I mean, I'm a very private person, so it's never comfortable to sit down and do that. But I do think having done it with all the bright places, I proved to myself that I could do that and that it was not only okay to do that, it was really important to do that. And I've, you know, since that book has come out six years ago, I've heard from thousands and thousands and thousands of readers, and I still do on a daily basis, just telling me how the book has saved their lives. And I think that, um, yeah, so I think that that, that it, that's been, and that, that just on a side note has been something I never expected, never, ever expected. And it's um, been amazing. Wonderful to hear. And now very, very early on in this book, uh, and it, to a point where it surprised me, the book <laughs> tackles sex and virginity, particularly women's virginity, head on and very, very frankly. We celebrate honesty and the allure of your work is its honesty, but sex in YA often makes people uncomfortable. There's a lot of fading to black or avoiding it entirely, and you do neither here. Was that a conscious choice? It was. I think, you know, one of the books that I loved so much when I was growing up was Forever by Judy Bloom, which of course was a classic then and is a classic now. And it I just remember the impact of reading that at probably, I don't know how old I was, 12 or something, 12 or 13. It was young enough so that I hid it under my mattress, like most, you know, readers of that book, because it dealt with virginity and sex in ways that I had never read about before. Um, and so I felt like I, you know, I read a lot of YA and there's so much amazing stuff out there, but I wasn't reading a lot of just honest takes on sex, especially first times, especially for young women. And so I thought, you know, that's kind of where it started. And then I was thinking about that summer and I was, you know, so the personal stuff then came in, but I was I was thinking about that first. I think that the sex part of it and how certainly at that age, that would have been great. You know, that was impactful for me to have that one book, but I was thinking, oh, there should have been so many more. Do you think you've grown bolder as your career has developed? I do. I I think so. I, you know, I can be, I'm definitely a people pleaser. And as I said, I'm, I'm private. So you know, writing something that has to do that has any sort of um, bold topic that can be controversial because I think a lot of, I certainly with all the bright places, with all of the books, but especially all the bright places received a lot of pushback from adults who read it and didn't feel like kids should be reading about subjects like depression and mental health and suicide, all the things that, you know, kids are going through that young people are experiencing. And so I remember it's funny because I remember after writing all the bright places and holding up the universe, I was at an event and I was on a panel and 
there was a Q&A and someone stood up afterward and I had just been thinking like, I just need to write something fluffy and sweet and happy and nothing that anyone can take, you know, offense to and, you know, we'll have issue with. And this young man stood up and he said, I just want to ask Jennifer if she will keep writing books for people like me who feel like they don't have a voice about hard issues. And I was like, absolutely. Cause yeah, absolutely. And so, yes, I feel like I've become bolder and I'm like, all right, I want it. It's for my readers and the readers are the most important thing to me. Exactly. And I, I find, I don't know whether it's serendipity or something else, but I find that whenever I find myself wavering and sort of questioning myself and wanting to sort of change my approach to something it's always a YA reader who will sort of <laughs> hold me to my standards, if that makes sense. Like they will say something that just lights a spark in you and reminds you, no, this is, this is why your instincts were right. This is why you do what you do. And this is how you are helping someone. It's and so true. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really fascinating readership to write for. And I, I want to talk about how you arrived at YA fiction, because looking back at your career from the nonfiction, the Ice Master, to the Aquanet Diaries, to Velvet Jean, how did you arrive here at writing for teenagers? Is this where you are most comfortable as a writer? I think it is. And it's, you know, I, I love writing nonfiction for adults and I love writing historical fiction. Um, I have enjoyed both of those things. But I think that for me, I find this audience, I, re- I feel like I relate to them the most. I feel like, you know, I am 15 inside. And so I so remember all the things that I went through at that age. And it's very easy for me to bring those up. Um, but what happened, um, I was actually working on the last in the Velvet Jean series, the last book in that series Mm -hmm. in the spring of 2013. And my agent, my literary agent, who I had for like 15 years died very suddenly. And he was the only person in the agency. I mean, he was very old school. So he was, he was the agency and it was so tragic on so many levels And I was mourning him personally and professionally. And I was talking to new agents and they were wanting to know what project I was working on. And the last time I ever saw John was his name. Last time I ever saw him in person, he said, kid, whatever you write next, I want you to write it because you cannot imagine writing anything else, even if it terrifies you. And so I kept thinking of those words of his and I knew what it was. It was the story of the boy who inspired Finch and and about knowing him and losing him. So that summer I sat down and to honor him, I just started working on all the bright places and writing it without telling anyone I was doing it. And I wanted to do it as, as young adult because I felt like those topics are so important for young adults to talk about and to know that they need to talk about them and it's okay. And they're not alone. And it really is this thing where once you write something that connects to teenagers, it like I've written things that adults have connected with and it feels, it feels good, but there's something about sort of writing something that connects to teenagers when they are vulnerable, when they are taking their first awkward steps 
you know, in life and it just energizes you so completely. Mm-hmm. What, what is it that you love most about writing for teenagers? I think, I mean, that's so beautifully said and it's, it's, it's the fact that they're going through all these firsts. They're, you know, experiencing so many things for the first time. And when that happens, I mean, I remember from my own teenagehood, I had a, I was lucky enough to have a mother I was very close to, and I could talk to her about anything and I had great friends, but I still remember that feeling of feeling like you're all alone and no one else is going through what you're going through. And I found reassurance and I found myself in song lyrics and music and literature and And that was like, you know, in the arts and that was the most profound experience. And I think I feel so grateful and so honored to get to write for teens because they are going through all these firsts. And also so many of them are either dismissed by the adults in their lives, unfortunately, or even if they're not, and they have these great relationships, they feel like they don't want to be a burden and they don't want to express whatever troubles they're going through. And because of that, they keep it inside and then they feel like they're the only people going through it. So it's to get to say to them, you know, you're not alone and you matter and I hear you and I see you and, you know, and, and it's important to talk about these things. It just feels like this incredible honor. And speaking of teenagers feeling like they're going through everything sort of alone, I, you know, when my parents divorced, like what, 20 years ago now, it was, it was less, I don't want to say in fashion, but it was less, it was less the thing to do (laughs) at school. Like my mum was one of two or three divorced mums, whereas now sort of, it's kind of accepted that a relationship may run its course. And if it ends, that's, that's fine. And that's normal. And I, even though I went through quite a, you know, let's just say, contentious divorce <laughs> uh, with right. my parents. I, um, as an adult now, I feel like divorce is, oh, that's a non-issue. Like no one really needs to yeah. talk about that and write about that. Until it was, it was just before the pandemic hit, I was speaking at a school and, you know, one of my big shticks is I'll just make, you know, my dad's an asshole jokes. <laughs> and, you know, kids were like, <laughs> like, you know, and, you know, what resonated with me in Breathless for me was, you know, that really strong relationship between Claude and her mother. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that was something that, you know, well, I had a strong bond with my mum before she divorced. You know, after the divorce, it was just really, really heightened after my dad decided, okay, I've given you the sperm. That's all I have to do. <laughs> <laughs> and so I make all these jokes. And for me, it's just sort of lighthearted fun. And I've sort of, I'd sort of forgotten why I was telling those stories, which was just sort of me working through all that stuff and sort of letting kids know that they weren't alone. And this um, a student came up to me in year 10 and she was like, I've never heard someone talk about divorce like that before. And, you know, my parents mm-hmm. going through a divorce and I thought like I was the only one. And I thought, that was really, really funny because in my head, I thought it was just such a non-issue. But for teenagers, mm-hmm. they're experiencing it for the first time. It's an issue for them. Um, and yes. what I really loved about Breathless was how you captured that sort of, it, you say it so beautifully, the floor falling from beneath your feet and then having to learn to stand yourself. And I wanted to know, 
what was it like for you sort of revisiting your parents' divorce for inspiration? And why do you think it's important that we tell stories like this? I think, you know, as you were saying, it, it seems, first of all, I think it's important because, you know, divorce does seem like, oh, everyone's divorced. Everyone's divorced now. And so it's no big deal. But the thing is, it's still a big deal. And I think now more than ever, teens almost apologize when they say to me, I don't know why I'm feeling sad. My parents divorced, but I know everyone's parents get divorced, but it's happening to you. I mean, you're one of the people that that's happening to, and that makes it very different. And, um, and I think that, you know, writing about my parents divorce was, it was, it was, very emotional because both my parents are gone, unfortunately, and my dad's been gone for 20 years now. And my mom, um, again, who I was so close to and was, uh, died five years ago. And so that's, it's hard because, you know, you're already emotional because you miss your parents every day and you miss them so much. But at the same time, it's wonderful because you get to resurrect them on the page. But then it's hard because you're resurrecting this very like emotional, tough time that you all went through. And, you know, there's a bit of like, oh gosh, I love my dad and I don't want to make him seem like the asshole on the page. But there were certain things that, you know, I need to put in the story. And <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, getting to write, but then getting to write um, Claude and her mother and that close relationship is just a shadow of how close my mom and I were. And, and that was really lovely to get to do that. So it was just such a mix. But I, I mean, my husband can, you know, support this statement. I was so emotional after I finished the book. <laughs> it was just so weepy and like, oh my God, it was very, very cathartic. Um, and it was, you know, I, one minute I could be laughing about something and the next minute I could be crying, but that's just me writing YA to be, you know, in general. And this is a totally selfish question that I'm going to ask because I'm curious, but I've hit a point now where, you know, my first book was published when I was 19. And so I still very mm -hmm. much felt like I was a teenager writing for teenagers, but now I'm 31 and this latest book that I'm writing at the moment for the first time, I'm actually like, oh, I feel just as close to the adults as I do to the teenagers, <laughs> maybe even the point right. that it, it's, it's tipped a little bit and now I feel closer to the adults than I do to the teens. Because, you know, when I was 18, adult mm -hmm. still this sort of unknowable thing. But right. now I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm one of them. I'm almost as old as the parents in the book. <laughs> I want to know how <laughs> how did you feel then stepping into sort of writing your you know something based on or inspired by your parents' divorce, but closer to the adults? Like, did you uh -huh. you know? And are you there sort of reassuring your husband? Oh, look, you know, this is this is fiction. You know, <laughs> right. you navigate all that mess. <laughs> well, he knows me well enough to know that, I mean, I still, even though I'm writing the adults, I still, I'm more Claude than I am any, you know, anyone else in the book. So it's, um, you know, those, those things are, my mom always said, like, you keep your child heart and, you know, you keep it throughout your life. And a lot of people don't, but, you know, I certainly have, and she, she certainly was like that too. 
but I, it's interesting because I find myself relating to both. And so it feels very like divided in that way. So, you know, I guess in some ways, well, like it just makes us better writers because we're able to, you know, feel the feelings of both the adults and the teens. And we're able to get into both the mindsets. Cause I still, you know, I'm, I'm able to relate more to the adults than, you know, certainly than ever, but at the same time, I'm still just as able to relate to the teens. And now this is usually the question that I hate sort of receiving. <laughs> okay. So obviously <laughs> oh, good. I'm going to <laughs> subject you to it, but I find it fascinating. You know, I talk to different authors about you know, the titles of their books. And it's, it feels like such a basic question, but you end up getting some really insightful things. Like I know, like for me, I have come up with every single one of my book titles. And I have known the book title, if not as I'm writing the book, before I start, like the title is set in stone. Whereas I have some friends who are like, oh no, my publisher chooses all of my titles. I have no huh. idea. And it may be that after they write a book, a publisher gives them a short list of seven titles and they have to choose one. Oh, wow. You know, you've got titles like Holding Up the Universe, Breathless. Like, these are titles that evoke something so strong in your teen readership. Is that just a knack that you have? Like, when do titles <laughs> come to you? Or are they given to you by someone very savvy in marketing? <laughs> yeah, they're very, it's such a variety of things. My first book title was The Ice Master, which was nonfiction. And I could not think of a title for it. And my mother came up with that, which was, I love now, especially because she's gone. Um, but other ones have come, I mean, most of the other ones I had in my head and with all the bright places, it's interesting because I found that title, but it was originally titled You Make Me Lovely, which is after a song that Finch writes to Violet in the book. And that was the name of it when I sold it to Random House and um, Penguin Teen Australia. And they just felt that they wanted something stronger. And also they felt like the word lovely might not appeal as much to guys. I don't know. Um, so we, they wanted me to look for other titles. So, and I'm very like, I want to control that. Like I, you know, I want input, but I want to be the one to find the titles. So I was looking through all these things and I found, I was looking through Dr. Seuss at some point and I found the bright places and thought all oh, the bright places. So, it, you know, and then holding up the universe came from a cousin of mine who said that he just, with the stress of the world, he just always feels like he's holding up the universe. And I thought, oh my gosh, what a, I mean, something we can all relate to, but at the same time, what a beautiful phrase that is. And, and then I came up with breathless as well. So I guess that I come up with most of them. I mean, but I will say titles are hard. I mean, I love to think of them, but they're not always easy for me. Hmm. Yeah. And I remember I was reading, I was thinking, okay, why is this book called Breathless? And I got to mm -hmm. the point where Claude goes out swimming, sort of, it's the first time, you know, we mm -hmm. sort of think of her as a swimmer. And that's when it all sort of clicked to me. And mm -hmm. it was just such a really beautiful moment. And it's, you know, that doesn't often happen with books, like you're reading them and you're like, oh yeah, that title is, it feels inconsequential, but uh -huh. Breathless, you know. And then once I noticed it and then I kept reading and I was like, oh, this this all ties together in a really, really beautiful way. And I think that's 
that's a sign of, I guess you chose the right title. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. Thank you. Well, I just, you know, I love the word because I wanted a one word title for this one for some reason, but I love the word because it means different things. And the fact that Claude feels very breathless because the wind has been knocked out of her and her entire world has changed at the same time she meets this boy and she feels very breathless in that kind of romantic, you know, um, sense as well. And, and then there's a kind of an Easter egg with the, the movie breathless from the, I guess the fifties or early sixties, the French movie, um, by Jean-Luc Godard. And that is a there's a little nod to that, even though I don't mention the movie in the book because Claude cuts her hair at some <laughs> point in honor of, Jean Seberg, who plays the girl in the in the movie. <laughs> and now, it isn't often that we get to interview an author whose work has been adapted for the screen. When you spoke at Sydney Writers' Festival, you were sharing potential casting with the teen audience, and now it has debuted on Netflix and built a huge following. Could you walk us through now? I know it's usually this really laborious process. <laughs> could you, like... <laughs> Summarize it. I know I'm giving you a really difficult task here. <laughs> can, you, can you tell us about the adapt, adaptation process, but in a non-boring way? <laughs> oh, I love that question. Well phrased. Um, I, I mean, I was so excited, as you know, for, I was so giddy about the whole process to begin with. And um, it's interesting because I'm now going through it again. I just just turned in days ago the first draft for the Holy Empty Universe film script. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's exciting to live it all over again. But I mean, I think that for me, the highlights were, first of all, that I was included in it, which is so rare for authors. They don't usually, if their works get optioned, you know, to get to write it is like, oh my gosh, much less get to, you know, go to the premiere, which is oddly something that a lot of people have to fight for when it's, their work that it's based on. And I felt very included by the film team from the start and um, not only wrote the script, but I was um, included in casting and I was included on the set and um, even got to do a cameo, which ended up on the cutting room floor. But you know what? It was for the better because it was distracting. Um, so it was just really just you know, every single step of it, though, just felt like, oh, my God, is this really happening? Like, it was just so surreal to get to, you know, and, and then get to get to see the actors that we picked actually say my lines, you know, lines that that I had written or lines that come directly from the book was just the most incredible thing. And I was a mess. I've seen the movie in a theater. I've seen it like three times because we saw it um, once on the Fox lot, once at Netflix, and then at the premiere. And all of, you know, every single time I was just crying from the first frame to the last. Like, <laughs> it was just, oh, it was so emotional. So I hope that was a non-boring way to say it. So Look, it's great. And it a lot of little well things, too, that were... <laughs> it ties well into my next question. Has oh, the process changed how you write? Because, you know, it had such a huge impact on you to see sort of your world realised in film. Did you consider mm -hmm. Breathless the film when writing Breathless the book? Or can you still keep the, those two parts separate considering you're involved in the process of mm. both? I think that, you know, for me, I actually went to film school. So 
when I wrote my first book all those years ago, I had just graduated from film school where I had gone um, to get my master's in screenwriting. So I kind of come at books from a script writing mentality, I guess, in the sense that while I've written more books than I have scripts, I, I come at it in a visual way. I love dialogue. Dialogue's very like important to me. And I also try to make every word count, which is something that you have to do in a script. So I feel like that has only gotten stronger as I've gone. I mean, I can look back at past books and I can see that my work's only gotten, I think, tighter, leaner, hopefully. And when I was adapting Holy Empty Universe this last time, I was actually looking through the book and I was like, there, you know, more so than all the bright places, I feel like I can lift whole chunks of dialogue because I feel like they translate well to the screen. And then with Breathless, um, which is also being adapted, it it feels, I think, visually, it feels very, um, the, the island is such a setting mm. in the story. And I think, you know, I could definitely see that filmically. So it's a long way of saying yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've written 10 books by my count. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. What do you think makes a Jennifer Niven book? Oh, I think I like to write stories that feel real and authentic um, to me. I mean, I like to write stories that give people hope. I want to write something that um, is honest and hopefully talks about something that we all go through, but does it in a way that hasn't been done before. Um, and in a way that hopefully encourages people to see themselves and to have discussions. Um, and the most important thing to me is just to give readers hope and make them realize that they're not alone. Beautiful. And what's next for Jennifer Niven? Oh my goodness. So I've just, as I said, I'm working, <laughs> I'm working on the holding of the universe script, which I'm thrilled to be writing for the movie version. That's all I can say about it at the moment. Breathless is also being adapted and that's all I can say about that at the moment. Um, so I'm thrilled about those. I'm also, I just finished working on a project um, which I think I told you about in Confidence Will, like a while ago, with another YA author. And I'm, we're not yet able to say publicly, like, ah, okay. I who, but I feel like you know. Um, yeah. And we've just, so the book has just gone through copy edits, or it's going through copy edits. It's just gone through edits and everything. So we're hoping it will come out later this year. And I'm very excited about that collaboration. Um, and then I'm starting to work on my next solo young adult novel. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Jennifer. It has been an absolute pleasure. For those of you who would like to hear more uh, from Jennifer, Google is your friend. You can also <laughs> up all of her books. They are readily available in stores and online, in print and audiobooks. And for more insightful chats with Australian and international authors, be sure to subscribe to Words and Nerds. I'm Will Kostakis. Thank you so much for joining us.